Welcome to Shatter by Rockwell Automation, Women in the Field. We're your hosts, Kara Parati and Kira Rust. Hi, Kara. Hey, Kira. How are you? Good. How was your weekend? It was good. It was pretty low key, which was nice. Um, got to just relax, which is always good. How about you? Yeah, no, I did the opposite. I <laughs> I had miles and I took a trip to Boston for fun because I've never been to the city. So I was on the subway and running around and I saw Fenway Park in the snow, which was a real treat uh, just from the outside. So uh, very much not relaxing, but very adventurous. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so much fun. You know um, that I love Boston from my time spent there. I've been trying to get back for a minute now, so I've got to plan a trip soon too. Uh, yeah, I probably don't go late January. I'm sure you know that. I learned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful though. It really is, even in the in the cold. Yes, absolutely. Kara, I am so excited about our guest today. I know, me too. I'm so grateful that we get to have her with us today. Um, without uh, any further ado, I'll go ahead and uh, give some background on our fantastic guest for today. So today we have Gina Claxton. As a dynamic leader and mentor, Gina has built a purpose-driven career focused on business transformation and talent development. Her breadth of experience spans strategy, sales, operations, finance, talent and skills, marketing, customer success, and channel development. Her success is attributed to her passion for high performance, constantly striving through continuous learning, creativity, and a winning mindset. She currently serves as president of the Americas for Rockwell Automation, where she is leading the transformation of a sales organization to a solution-focused high-performance team. Gina enjoyed a successful career at IBM, starting as an individual contributor where she was continuously recognized for sales performance, both in the technology and consulting business units. She was later invited to an accelerated senior leadership track, which offered her ex executive roles across a variety of go-to-market segments, including industries and offerings. Most recently, she served as the general manager for the customer and travel industries, a $4 billion business that Gina and her team modernized and returned to sustainable growth. Gina was also a member of the IBM CEO's transformation team, and she led various change initiatives for the company on behalf of senior leadership. As a Latina in tech, Gina is passionate about inclusion, mentorship, and representation, and serves to foster a culture where individuals believe they belong and can strive. At IBM, Gina served as the business sponsor to IBM's Hispanic DNI organization and programs. In her personal life, Gina serves as Board of Trustees President for Canal Alliance, a Bay Area nonprofit focused on economic equity through education and career advancement programs for the Latino immigrant community. Gina grew up in San Francisco Bay Area and later attended University of Notre Dame, where she majored in computer applications and Spanish literature. She also completed a finance and accounting concentration at the Wharton School. Gina lives in San Francisco with her husband and three children. Gina, welcome to Shatter. Thank you for having me on my one-year anniversary with Rockwell. No oh, kidding. wow. Yes. 
momentous occasion to be joining you. Yeah, congrats. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> Good to spend the time today. Yes, beautiful. You mentioned in your intro that you're from the Bay Area in the U.S., known for cultivating some seriously impressive leaders. I want to start this conversation about inspiring transformation off by asking you who you look up to as a leader and what are the leadership ideas more broadly that you're feeling and and seeing around you lately? Uh, Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, Yes, I grew up in the Bay Area and the shape, the face of this area and how it's like changed shape over the years, even in the last 10 years, it's been so drastic, the extremes from the height of the tech boom to what's happened during COVID. Um, So I think I've always connected to leaders in this area to, to stay very informed on, of course, leading technologies and trends, but also leadership styles that are going to, you know, be most effective in any given period of time. And, um, and today I have some, you know, some very dear friends that are leading uh, very successful high growth, you know, companies in this area. The trends that I'm seeing, um, it's very interesting, you know, with the explosion of the capital markets and the boom of the stock, uh, stock markets like pre-COVID and during COVID, there were a lot of companies that were just, you know, IPOs, um, very early IPOs, a lot of investment going into early stage startups. And that's really shifted, as you know, as we've kind of pulled back on, um, you know, capital and risk and things as a result of COVID. So the themes are really transitioning around here to building resiliency, uh, sustainability in terms of not just the eco impact, but sustaining your company and your employees in terms of longevity as a company and things like that, managing risk. And it's a very different field. Um, You actually end up uh, kind of learning lessons from some of the, you know, the older companies that have been around longer, that are bigger and have been through a lot and weathered a lot of these things more so than maybe those shiny object startups that were, you know, so exciting um, when there's less, uh, you know, frankly, risk. Um, so uh, so I, I have a lot of opportunity to speak with leaders like that around me, and I'm really grateful for it. I make it a practice to learn from them as much as I can. Yeah, so along with those, you know, leaders that you're able to connect with on some of those topics, you've also worked at different companies and been exposed to different cultures, and you've seen organizational change firsthand. Um, How do you find the values that are key to aligning with others in an organization? And then do you have any strategies for our listeners as to how to get a pulse on the culture in an organization? Like what is prompted out there that they want you to see and what is the true depth of the culture? Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, that's a big question, but I'll answer it with the word uh, communication. Communication is central to transformation. And I don't just mean like informing. I mean, communication as a strategy um, and as as a execution focus, like in every dimension of what you're doing, communication 
um, and how you're keeping people bought into the journey is core to the success. So um, a culture is a living, breathing thing. It, 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 it has um, ups and downs and there's always a lot going on uh, in such, especially in big companies. Um, so one of the things I've learned is you have to have multiple touch points or like nodes in this living organism at all times to be constantly collecting that heartbeat and you know iterating um learning changing evolving as you go there's a couple of ways we've been implementing that as we kind of launch or activate um our new organizational model, but we're truly just at the beginning, right? We just activated ourselves. So there's a lot to go do. One is just a um, feedback forum. We call it a risk register, like an anonymous place that everyone knows they can come if there's something not working. That's like a open to the masses, very, um, but something we, we integrate in our operating rhythms to look at all the time. Another way we've done it is we've um, created councils, a council that represents you know, individuals, the field, a council that represents frontline leaders, the leaders that are executing all the change, and a council that re represents the future you know, senior leaders of the company. Each one has a very specific mission, charter, and role. But the intent is to really represent the different stakeholders in an organization at any given moment, and then through a very intentional operating model, serve those, be those nodes out there and serve that information into uh, our working groups of everything that we're working on continuously. So there's a lot of intention around that. I think um, the other thing I, I've learned is you can't, you have to have your conviction on the North Star you can't get swayed by every piece of feedback you get. So there's a there's a bit of an art in interpreting that feedback and deciding when to adjust, change course, and when to say we're, we're we have to power through this because the outcome is so important. Or you know if we can just endure this, it will be worth it. And that's a bit of an art and experience. But you have to have those deep roots on the North Star. Otherwise, you run the risk of just kind of blowing in the wind and you actually never get there. Um, so that's that's where a bit of the art comes in between communication, you know, capturing all that feedback and then deciding where you actually uh, implement the changes that are being requested. That that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I heard communication, iteration, and, and the underlying tone of what you're saying too is accountability on all parts of the organization. It's, it's, like a human body, there are different systems and these different systems all need to be operating um, and, and providing some kind of feedback loop to the heart that's keeping everything moving at the core. Yeah, I mean, that's a theme for transformation. It's 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 all of ours, right? It can't be a top down. So uh, that's a lot of where we work on with the culture work is to transition this this kind of passive, you know, things are happening to me kind of um, tone uh, to a, a very active, like what am I doing to change um, the environment or the outcome? Uh, and because, you know, that is a that is a key to, to our success. We have to activate everyone, not just 
the leaders uh, on an organization, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I love the description of like activating that and others and it not just being kind of this top-down push, but actually something that's cultivated on all levels. And then also what you brought up around in the beginning, communication, not just being about, you know, informing people. Where do you work with that line as you're going through transformation in communication being a key part while balancing transparency? Yeah, it's it's a really, really uh, good question because one of the secret ingredients of transformation is authenticity. Yeah. You have to trust. There has to be trust at the foundation of all of this. And in order for you to trust me, you have to think that I'm not um, pulling a bait and switch or there's not some like boogeyman out there or, you know, you got to trust me. We're, 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 you know, we're on this journey together. That said, there are a lot of things that, you know, are sensitive, um, sometimes just require a leader to decide. Not everything is a consensus decision, actually. Um, and also, there are things that you're still kind of thinking about. And if you explain everything, you're going to lurch the organization one way. And then if you change your mind, you're going to lurch the organization, right? So um, I think about it along those those three dimensions. You know, is it HR sensitive or is it about people's lives? If, if so, we have to be extremely intentional about um, what we share and when and not be, you know, cavalier or casual about that. The second thing is who has the decision? We're very disciplined now about and getting more disciplined about a decision framework. Who has the decision? When will it be made? What are the dependencies? Because if it's a group decision, then let's go to the councils and get their input or let's go, you know, do a survey or something. But if if I make the decision, then there's really, that's just the answer, right? There are certain things that have to happen that way. So being very intentional about that. And then the other thing is I'm very big on declaring when we're in workshop mode, we're in workshop mode, blank piece of paper on the wall, anything goes, go as big and bad as you can. But that's like the safety of that space and that phase. Now, when we go into implementation, I'm not going to start like lurching everybody around with what if we did this and that, because it causes confusion. So the, the communication plan has to be extremely intentional. If you follow those kinds of disciplines, then you can be really authentic because you don't have any doubt of what you know, gets shared or why or when. Um, and then you can keep circling back to that why. The why is the most important thing. You know, it's got to be, everybody's got to understand that or else you don't have people with you. So, uh, so those are some of the ways we think about what to share and when. Um, and then we can be our authentic selves and be very free in, in explaining things um, at the right place and time to the right audience. Yeah. I love that it all kind of ties back into that being authentic. And we had recorded a previous podcast that was really centered on authenticity and leadership being how leaders connect to the people that they're working with. So it's it's really nice to see that kind of come back around uh, in this conversation as well. 
Technology and automation are driving the next generation of manufacturing. Leading organizations are harnessing the cloud to transform the way they work. They're accelerating innovation with access to new insights and easing collaboration to try new things quicker at a lower cost. They're increasing agility by being able to deploy quickly and pivot with ease to meet fluctuating demands. Lastly, they're scaling on demand by easily adding or removing compute power and users to reduce time to value. You can do this too. With software as a service, the benefits of the cloud have never been more accessible. Explore what's possible with Rockwell Automation's Factory Talk Hub Cloud Manufacturing Solutions and start planning your journey today. So since COVID, the world has been going through immense change. Our day-to-day lives, our work, our futures, it's uh, kind of become a cliche to discuss it anymore, but we all feel it in the air around us. And transformation is difficult in nature. This is not, uh, it's not mutually exclusive with our lives when we talk about transformation at work and transformation in our lives, especially in this era. So as someone who has led large-scale transformations and is leading a large-scale transformation, you know firsthand that shift you feel while it's happening. At the moment when we're recording this, it makes me think of New Year's resolutions and trying to make a change and you implement it, you follow the North Star, you take the baby steps every day to move the ball forward, so to speak. My question is, what are the key challenges of transformation organizationally, especially given the backdrop of the world we're living in right now? And what are the steps to take to enable that psychological safety that that you've been alluding to and ensure people are supported in the process as part of building that trust? Um, so I just want to make a kind of a philosophical point here when we talk about transformation, because a lot of people think that transformation has like a beginning and an end. Yeah. I mean, digital transformation, our customers will never stop digitally transforming. It's going to go on forever. And therefore we will always be changing in order to best serve and lead them. Right. So we have to think about this as our new way of life. There is no Now, you know, there are periods where there's more organizational change or there's more, you know, structural things happening in a company. But this kind of cultural norm and behavioral norm of change is is our new normal in this age of digital uh, disruption. And it's not because of our company or anyone's company. In fact, if you go to any company right now, Everybody is in the same mode in every single industry. I was seeing that LinkedIn posted their most uh, recruited skills for jobs uh, of 2022, the most common sought after skills, the power skills. And they were things like empathy, ability to work in ambiguity, managing conflict, cross-cultural collaboration, managing risk, all the things we have to get really good at to be in these uh, ambiguous environments where you don't always know the answer and yet you've got to move at the speed of light and build the plane as it's flying down. You know, this is the way we are uh, 
expected to perform now. And my one of my favorite leaders, Ginny Rometty, who is the CEO of IBM, who I learned so much from, she has this famous quote that growth and comfort do not coexist. So we are uncomfortable. It means we're growing, we're being stretched. We have to embrace that. Um, some of the biggest challenges are, especially at companies where we've had such a, a track record of success, a tremendous heritage of, um, you know, products that win and the best experts in the business, we tend to, um, you know, have to kind of reevaluate our willingness and interest in taking risks into the unknown. You can argue these things have worked and now we have to take these leaps into the unknown. So this idea of risk is at, at a company like IBM that was over a hundred years old, a company like Rockwell, it's not a natural muscle. Uh, whereas startups, they live every day, you know, possibly not surviving. So you're always in a game of, um, you know, roulette where you could be, you know, out of money in two days. And that is a different, that's a different attitude. How do we create that startup mentality in a legacy company? How do we create that, um, that interest in, taking risks and maybe breaking things and maybe failing when we have so much more to lose, right? We have so much more to lose. And um, the key to this is really focusing on building out a, a, a culture of innovation, an operating model that encourages experimentation at all levels of an organization, trying new things. What is your idea to grow? How are you trying it? What are you doing today to experiment? It didn't work. That's okay. Um, so there's nothing about uh, transformation where I can promise, you know, safety, like, don't worry. This is all this whole organization. That's impossible in the world we're in. What you can do is you can learn how to take risks in your own day-to-day -day job, experiment, try new things. And that helps you stay kind of in the right mindset for what we're needing right now. Um, you know, aggressive. and um, and having the right attitude, frankly. And that is the most important thing um, because the skills and things are, we're gonna evolve our skills. You know, we'll get there. We'll learn how to sell digital transformation and we'll learn how to do all these things. But we gotta have that operating model that really fosters that, that willingness to take risk and, and try things and fail and fall down and, and be okay. And not from a top down, but from truly from a, you know, a grassroots, the entire team. Beautiful. That it's giving me a lot of Brene Brown parallels, especially that quote from Ginny, right? This idea that in order to empower people to make those kinds of changes, you have to be vulnerable and maybe in a different way when we're talking about organizational change, but you have to be the person that says, okay, I'm going to take on this innovative project. Here's what I'm thinking, tie out with your teams, but then you have to move quickly and you have to take the risk that, okay, it's my name assigned to this project, but I'm going to move forward. And um, that does take a certain attitude. And I, and I really like the perspective you just brought up of bringing that down from, okay, here's the organizational strategy, but we all as employees of each of these companies, right? Again, this is not just one company going through a major transformation. We're going through an era of transformation uh, where it's been really accelerated by COVID. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's absolutely right. I mean, you you mentioned Brene Brown. I think this is like a universal uh, mm-hmm. problem statement and opportunity. And like you know, like I said, based on those LinkedIn job searches and recruiters out there, everybody's looking for this profile of a person who's willing to take some leaps and but do it in a very thoughtful you know way, not a reckless way, um, but to help reinvent, constantly reinvent. Um, because it's it's continuous. Yeah, that that's really telling those LinkedIn results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, part of your answer kind of speaks to this. And between Brene Brown and kind of the next person I'll quote here, we love digging into the psychology here on um, Shatter. But American social psychologist Jonathan Haidt has a useful analogy for thinking about behavioral changes, right? Um, Uses an elephant and the rider, um, the emotional side being the elephant, and then the analytical rational side being the rider. And then the path the elephant walks is that like method of change. Um, Kind of what you were saying, right? About empowering the workforce to take those risks and fail and then learn how to get comfortable with the discomfort of the risk and the failure, right? Um, that's That makes people nervous and, and can be scary as they're kind of starting to, to make those decisions. And that's a part of, you know, the human condition, this elephant and rider. How do you clear the path from your perspective so that the force really does feel empowered um, amidst the changes to affect that in their own life and career. Um, well, I, I think about Reed Hastings, the founder and CEO of Netflix. We as a leadership team here have read his book, No Rules Rules. And he talks about freedom and responsibility that, you know, to really empower people, they need both freedom and responsibility to be accountable. And, and, I kind of laugh because yes, I agree. And, and to get to that side of the spectrum, you need, you know, to write, have the right team who you, you know, has that trust. There's a lot of ingredients, but when you're kind of, a, you know, a born on the cloud or fairly young company, you also don't have, you know, decades of processes and systems and, and ways that things just happen that you have to kind of, you know, hack through. You can, yeah, you can just kind of start being like that, right? Whereas at a, at a big company that's been around for a long time, um, a lot of times I, I find people are doing things and they never asked even, they just assumed they couldn't. You know, yeah. and if, if you ask for permission, you often will get a no because that's somebody's like, you know, easiest answer for you. But sometimes I ask like, why are you at, why do you think you can't do this? So there's so much ingrained in that DNA of that of that um, that company that's been around. What I have three words that are so powerful and so simple um, that I try to just like you said clear the path for any problem, any idea where I see people kind of paralyzed by the way things were or kind of dug in because you can see they're not ready to make that leap. And those three words are, how might we? How might we? Because when you go to a meeting and sides are dug in on a position or the way things were and why the processes won't work or why the systems won't work or why, you know, 
if you put that outcome right there in the middle of the table and say, how might we get to that? And then create from there. It's the quickest way to kind of sweep all the other stuff out of the meeting and just focus on a solution with all of the brains that are there of, in that creativity. So how might we has become a practice for us where I, when I see people that uh, are disagreeing on a decision that's in front of us, or um, I see that inertia of, you know, kind of the old ways of doing things creeping in, take that outcome we were looking for, put it in the middle and say, how might we? And let's just focus on that instead of the why not or what's wrong. Uh, it's, it's, it's hugely productive. That's perfect. I, that's such a great, I couldn't have thought up a better response to that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And when we think about, you know, you, it seems like you're inspiring the transformation, but then of course there's sustaining transformation. And I don't mean that in, um, um, in a start stop kind of way, meaning you mentioned earlier, digital transformation doesn't have a beginning and an end. But when you think about sustaining that mindset and bringing our legacy and, and the positive things with us while reimagining, how do you determine when things are working or not? And not from maybe a macro lens, you know, it's not binary, it's not is this working or not, but how do you look at the different teams and the different systems and and how do you determine you know, how do you get a litmus test of how your teams are feeling in course correct using that how might we method? This is very important when you're talking about a multi-year journey and you got to keep people uh, in the boat. It can be a slog. Sometimes you can lose a forest for the trees. And sometimes if business isn't performing, you have to kind of park these grandiose things and really focus on like the problem of the day. And, you know, there's a little imbalance there of like near term, short term versus the things you're working towards. So all of this happens. Um, and that's why it's it's so important to communicate progress and how you communicate progress is through data and through metrics. So we've gotten very focused on what we call KPIs and OKRs, KPIs being big macro indicators that we're all marching towards, revenue growth, customer survey, um, uh, employee engagement metrics that we really know ultimately they're going to be our longer term indicators, right? That's our North Star. But we can't wait three years to see if we got there. So OKRs, objectives and key results, are um, a, a big movement right now in, in the industry because of these the cycles and the longevity of transformation. And they're about like in quarter um, uh, object, objectives, like what we're gonna do as a team that we know are gonna get us to those KPIs. And then what are some key initiatives under that that we're just gonna do this quarter and how are we gonna measure those? And then the next quarter, we look at our OKRs and we say, are they the same ones? Should we add one? Should we delete? And every single functional team has a set of OKRs that they're starting to develop and, and implement across the whole organization so that you can really, at any given day, you can say, well, I'm I'm inferring that if, if we do nine you know, customer pilots in this new area this quarter, then we're getting closer to this KPI. And it's a very iterative, you're always looking at them together, reevaluating if they should 
change or evolve, but they're metrics focused. So uh, an OKR wouldn't be like focus on something or align on something. It would be, you know, do X things, five customer meetings, you know, launch three products, because that way you, you're, you're really measuring. It's not a sentiment or you don't have to go out and like, how does this, how does this feel? It's, it's something you can uh, talk about and measure. That, that's a very important practice um, in terms of transformation because that scoreboard, so to speak, is what's telling us if we're on track, even if business environment or distractions, you know, get in our way, we, we still are, are making the progress. Yeah, that makes sense too. Like, like you said, we can't, you know, from a leadership perspective, you don't want people to feel like you're swaying from the North star. So you, you want to stay focused on that right. path while making enough room, of course, for people to, to speak how they're feeling, but always staying focused on the KPIs and under that, the OKRs, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. That's, that's right. Yeah. Um, so we have uh, a quote from uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, kind of about the the period of transformation that we're in. And so in 2021 and 2022, the rate of job quitting in the United States has reached heights not seen since the start of the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics job openings and labor turnover survey program in December of 2000. This recent phenomenon has been called the Great Resignation. While extrapolations using historical quit rate data for manufacturing suggests that the U.S. economy exhibited even higher quit rates in the 1960s and 1970s, the recent quit rates are too high to be explained solely by labor market tightening. So kind of along the lines with that quote, how closely is turnover watched by leadership and how do you determine whether shifts in the workforce are coming from a macroeconomic force like the Great Resignation or from an individual company decision making? Um, what is the impact moving forward, no matter what kind of that answer looks like? Mm -hmm. I will tell you that um, attrition is uh, extremely um and critically scrutinized every month. It's it's um, something we we look at in the previous month, both from a you know an HR and a finance standpoint, right? Because we're we're managing budgets, we're managing headcount, we're managing um, certainly employee engagement. The first thing HR organizations do is benchmark against uh, our peers in the industry. And um, so the great resignation, you know, you had some tech companies uh, turning over 20, 21%. Um, and so in the solution space, um, Rockwell was well beyond, well below that, very much below that. And we were keeping a very close eye on it, but there were all these social societal movements and all of these reasons, right? And we could talk a lot about those, um, but, but people needing a change, needing a change in their in their work environment. When you look at just um, beyond the great resignation, you know, we are always continuing to benchmark across our peers. That's something we always do. And I think um, I think 
what people are finding truthfully is a little bit of what I said before is no matter where you go, there's a lot of change, a lot of volatility, a lot of unknown. And so the grass may seem greener, um, but where do you see a longer term vision with a company? And where do you believe in the leaders of the company? And where do you feel like culturally you belong? And where do you feel that you can make a personal difference? But if you're, you know, if you're, I think a lot of people have found that you jump over and it's just as much chaos and churn and uncertainty, that part of it is is pretty consistent. So you have to look for these other things to decide if, if it's a place you want to stay. Um, what I always tell people when it when you're in times of change is we all want each person to look in the mirror and decide if they're in or if they're out. It, it's, it's important for you. It's important for me. It's important for the company, our customers. And it doesn't mean you weren't capable. It doesn't mean you're, you know, you, you, you don't, couldn't do it. It just, it just means if, if you're not feeling like this is the right fit for in this moment, then it's important to just kind of name that, you know, and, and that's very natural because what you're used to, you may be really excited about the future, but you may not. And that's okay. That said, we are also really focused on building the world-class team for the future. That's that's what we're obsessed with doing. And my number one trait that I look for in these times of transformation is attitude. Number one is attitude, willingness to do it. Number two is aptitude, which is I just, I, I know I that's, person has the potential to get there we just need to feed the person with all the enablement and learning and experiences and over time um you know we'll evolve we all do we're humans will evolve and then the last thing is skills literally the last thing is skills so I think you know I'm looking for at least me as a leader I'm looking for people who want to be here, who are going to take the hill with us, who are going to be positive when things get hard, who will collaborate well. Um, and that's why I say, if you look in the mirror and you can't, you're, you're kind of always negative about it. You're not really feeling the thing. It just brings everyone else down, right? So it's less about, can I sell an AI project to a CIO tomorrow? And it's more about, do I have the right mindset? And then I'll put in the time to learn how to do that. And then I'll go do that. Um, so I think, you know, attrition is actually a really important part of transformation. It's a way that we we collectively all uh, decide that this is this is where we want to be and um, get the best team on the field to go in for our customers. Uh, and, and I think we're right where we need to be uh, right now on our journey. Right. It's like the kid on the team that doesn't really want to play the sport, but his parents are like, come on, like, this is your sport. This is what we do. We play this. And he's like, okay. And he shows up every day and he slogs and the rest of the team is like, I don't even know. I don't even know how to interact with you. That's not ideal. You want 
you want the team that's very motivated. Um, and there are good days and bad days, of course, but, but that makes a lot of sense that, you know, what, what leadership seems to be focused on then is building that, that psychology of motivation, which is exactly the topic shifting gears a little bit here of the book prime to perform. We read it as a shatter team. A lot of, uh, people I've heard have read it in, uh, Rockwell, um, like I mentioned, it's it's this factor of total motivation that we're talking about here and building teams that are really all in. I'm wondering if you can speak on that a little bit and and how Prime to Perform has influenced your leadership style. Yeah, I've, I've partnered with the authors of this book um, on my previous transformation journey and now again in this current one, because it's it's a really there are all kinds of frameworks in books about motivation and how to motivate teams. And what I like about this one is it's a very practical application of we we know what motivates us to perform our best. It's play, the element of having fun or really enjoying the work we're doing. It doesn't mean uh, like foosball games and it, you know, it just means I'm really having fun when I'm solving this problem. I'm, I'm really having fun doing it. It's purpose what's the higher meaning of what I'm doing? What's the impact I'm having? Is this work meaningful? And then it's potential. What else can I do here? What What's the next thing to stretch my brain, to stretch my skills? Um, those, those are the ingredients of a high-performing team. And what those authors have helped me with in leading large teams is not making that top-down. That's that's something that has to be in each individual's belly. You know, you got to know. So at the team level between a manager and employees, how do you create that culture of total motivation where you can have fun, where your work can have meaning, where you can constantly experiment and try new things and see what's working and be creative. And that's really helped me in terms of I know I can do that as an individual, but how to scale that across an organization as large as ours and make sure it's happening in each individual team because that's where the real impact is. Um, so that's what's really helped me with that book. And I think it's it's um, it's just a very simple way to just start doing your work differently, you know, every day and seeing what changes. Um, and And that is really been foundational to a lot of my transformation plans and strategies, frankly, is what I've learned from that book. Yeah. And, uh, I think it speaks to kind of what you were saying earlier too, with the, you know, those who show up excited to work even in the challenging times, but then also, and I think you described it a bit more like the play and creativity aspect, but I think that even lends itself to a reframe of, you know, trying new things and getting out of the comfort zone and not being afraid of being uncomfortable. Um, and then I think too, even, you know, showing up excited about what you're doing and excited enough about that to give constructive feedback that is intended to help people like grow, or if it's going to leadership from an organization helping to see what that is feeling like at that level and not, you know, this really negative or not wanting to be their energy. So I think that that also 
is really nicely tied up in that prime to perform ideology. Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned, uh, another book, um, authored by the CEO of Netflix. Is there any other book that you've read in the last year that's had a really profound effect on you? It doesn't have to be in leadership. It can be personal or whatever. It can be a few, um, but I know yeah, you're always good for a book, right? You know, I read so much. Um, and it's, it's so, sometimes I think the book finds me or I find the book. I'm not sure. Yeah. That these moments of such change, you know, I, I've found so many great ideas in books about business and books not about business. Um, one that I really enjoyed, uh, last year that I picked up a lot. I've read it before, but it's called The Homeboy Way uh, by Thomas Zasso. And he is the CEO of Homeboy Industries, which is an organization I've done some volunteering work with. They're based in Los Angeles. They're focused on um, gang rehabilitation and reentry. And um, they've created a, a, a set of businesses where gang members can come and work and they're revenue generating bakeries and um, stores and things like that. So they finally got big enough where they went out for a, a CEO in Thomas Vasso, who's who was leading a for-profit company. And when he came in, he thought he was going to come and teach them everything. You know, look, your financials are a mess. You got to like have process. And um, what he learned in the 10 years, you know, until he wrote the book was obviously converse, you know, the humility that he's gained from um, all the lessons of how to do business differently with impact and purpose in mind and servant leadership and things like that. Um, so integrating like the nonprofit and for-profit worlds, like the best of both, but then bringing that to the for-profit sector and just becoming better leaders overall. So I really enjoyed that. Um, I pick it up all the time because there was like a list of things in the back that you can always draw from. The um, the other one that I just finished was Bono's book, Surrender. And I liked it because I love stories about reinvention. You know, that's like the perfect example. And yet in the arts, you're always expected to do that. And it's, it's just part of the game and and how can we take some of that like audacity of the things that you know they tried you two tried to stay relevant over the years and apply that to what we do every day I just love the um the spirit and how he became much more purpose-driven over the course of his life and career and, and the great work so that's another good one I would recommend that's really powerful. There's so much integration in that. Instead of thinking about life in these discrete buckets, like there's the arts and then there's business. Not really. We're all a bunch of people trying to figure out how to move our way through life and make an impact and align with, you know, a vision and a and a purpose. That's really beautiful. Yeah, it it it's such a tangled web, right? Like I think we try and think about things as one topic at a time, but they involve the personal, the professional, everything mm -hmm. in between all at all moments. And so those examples feel really, you know, keen to that. Gina, we know you have to run here in a minute, 
Um, first of all, thank you so much. I, every time I talk to you or hear you speaking, I'm feeling very inspired and, and yeah. it's so great to have your commentary on transformation. Last question here. If you had a crystal ball, what's the next big thing? And this could be industry trends, digital transformation, this HR movement. I know you mentioned those LinkedIn skills. What, what are you thinking and feeling? I could think about this one for a long time. So I'm just going to throw out some tech trends, especially being based in the Bay Area. I think um, where we're going with like low code, no code AI and the ability of um, like the next generation of AI and what it's going to do to solve business problems in, in our world in manufacturing that have never even been, um, you know, thought about. And then a lot of societal problems around uh, the environment and things like that. I think we're just scratching the surface there. We're about to, it's about to explode and it's kind of related, but all the, the meta, the meta kind of AR world and how you integrate those two really powerful technologies. Um, I'm just, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm just amazed at how fast the, the spaces are moving. And I can see that we're, you know, once we kind of stabilize and we feel like our supply chains are resilient again, and we can, move past this, um, I think that those areas are just going to explode with opportunity. So I'm looking forward to being a part of that. Yeah. Oh, that's very exciting. And I think Kira said it a little bit earlier, but you speak about energizing leadership and uh, we always all feel energized after having these conversations with you. So thank you so much again for being on the podcast today with us. We've really appreciated it. Thank you. I want to thank you all for. Uh, doing this. I think you, everybody knows you guys have day jobs. And what I appreciate so much um, is your curiosity, because your curiosity is what drives, you know, passion for learning is what's going to, you know, drive your purpose and your evolution. And to do it through this forum where you can share that with everyone is, is the real gift. So thank you. Thank you. That's really kind. Thank you, Gina.